Hey everyone, my name is Will Malice and I'm an assistant news editor for the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, the only student-run print and online newspaper here on the UMass campus serving the community since 1890. And this is the official podcast for the news section of the Collegian called the Collegian News Hour. We're recording today's episode on Sunday, April 5th, but this, like every installment of our podcast, will be released at 8 o'clock every Tuesday morning on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. So joining me to recap the stories we have covered over the past week are the rest of the news team. If you want to introduce yourselves. I'm Abby Charpentier, the news editor. I'm Cassie McGrath, assistant <laughs> news editor. I'm Catherine Eston, assistant news editor. I'm Irina Kostake, assistant news editor. I'm Sophia Gardner, assistant news editor. And uh, so we have uh, an uh, older contributor who's coming back. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Chris McLaughlin. I'm also an assistant news editor, and I am back for the remainder of the semester. Awesome. So uh, welcome back. So you were um, studying abroad in uh, in France. Do you want to kind of talk about your experience? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I was in France when um, things started to rapidly evolve regarding the coronavirus and its spread. Um, so I was there for six weeks into my study abroad. And as the weeks went on, it got more and more worrisome that um, as more and more people were getting sick, especially in Italy, and programs started being canceled there, that there would also be cancellations with other programs in Europe and um, around the world for study abroad students. And then it was about two and a half, three weeks ago that we got a message basically saying that Our study abroad had been terminated as a result of a level three um, warning against or toward um, European nations in the European Union, um, which involved France, obviously. And in a matter of a few days, myself and many of my friends who I'd met abroad had to pack up our belongings, book flights home. Um, It was very rushed. It was kind of scary. The sooner you got out, the better. But it was a bit of chaos because as the days went on, uh, the situation just got worse and worse. Things started to close down, starting with the schools. On that Thursday evening, the French president had closed all schools beginning the next Monday. And then that Saturday... Um, bars and restaurants were told to shut at midnight. And then I was still there the Monday before I left. And that evening, I was alone in my apartment in Paris when the French president told the nation that um, he was going to restrict all movement starting at noon that day, or the next day, I should say, the Tuesday. And I had a 1 p.m. flight that day. So it was very stressful, not knowing how things were going to play out, just trying to get to the airport and make my flight home. And luckily, um, I'm happy to say I made it back. Definitely stressful day, had to self-isolate for two weeks following my time in Europe. But um, ever since I've just been home, and I haven't been sick, um, haven't shown any symptoms, haven't left the house until very recently just to go for a walk um, and just trying to keep up with schoolwork on a different time zone in a different language. It's it's not the study abroad experience I expected whatsoever. So for the schoolwork, are you obligated to um, 
finish the same schoolwork that you would if you were studying abroad? It's a little um, altered just given the circumstances, but to a large degree, yes. We still have assignments to be doing. Um, We'll still Zoom call into class, even though they're six hours ahead. Um, Most of the time we'll find a way to make it work, except for one of my classes, which meets at three, between three and 6 a.m. in the morning, you know, so that one, uh, it's tough, but the rest of them, you know, just trying to get by, trying to submit assignments on time and just keep up without um, really having that extra guidance of being in the country that you're studying in, but doing my best that I can. Curious, what was it like when you moved home? Did you, were you like able to use the kitchen in your house and like the bathrooms and stuff or did you mostly stay in your room? It was a little bit of a weird situation where I wasn't entirely isolated from my family. Like I would still, you know, be able to get food from the kitchen and eat at our table, but it would be more of a situation where I would never get too close to family members. Um, My parents would be very cautious about cleaning things. We have a couple bathrooms in my house, so I would use just one bathroom for myself. The rest of my family would use the other bathrooms, you know, just so there was no crossing of anything. Um, And yeah, it was just a weird situation. I tried to just kind of keep to myself in my own room, in my own space um, as much as possible just so I wasn't potentially transferring anything to them asymptomatically. So it's just a, an odd situation all around. Um, now that I've passed the two-week barrier, um, it's back to normal pretty much. We're just all hunkering down and staying tight in our home and only making limited trips out to like the grocery store maybe once, twice a week max. When did you become aware of everything happening? UMass you know did you get home and get in contact with your friends back on campus see that we were a bit behind where France was it was interesting because um my roommate he was from the University of Rhode Island and I'm from UMass so like we'd often be talking about things like that things evolving with our schools um and I saw that Amherst College, um, thanks to the Collegian, had decided to switch to online learning for the rest of the semester after spring break. And from there, it was kind of like a domino effect. So I kept getting the updates. I'd be relaying them to other people because we had other people from UMass in our program too. So I would talk to them about it and we'd be like, oh, Amherst College is closing. And then it was what Smith went next. And then Mount Holyoke and um, eventually UMass. And it's kind of roughly in the same time period, more or less, where I was beginning to leave that we started learning about, you know, how UMass was going to postpone coming back for originally what was supposed to be two weeks after spring break, I believe, right? And then eventually just the decision was made to, you know, cancel in-person classes for the rest of the semester. So it was kind of like a weird situation where as I was just coming back, my friends were also in this scenario where they all of a sudden were no longer going to in-person classes. So it kind of made me feel not as alone about having to have that barrier between like where I'm at and where other people are in terms of classes. But at the same time, it's definitely disappointing and um, not what anyone expected whatsoever. And we've been in contact and just, you know, 
trying to see where each other's at and all that. Cool. So, uh, well, it's uh, good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be just knowing you're safe and you're back in your own home and your own country um, during crazy times like this. Yeah, totally. So for our first uh, news story this week, um, so there was an incident of Zoom bombing uh, in this recent SGA meeting. Uh, Sophie, you covered this? Yeah, so the Student Government Association held a Zoom meeting, a Zoom Senate meeting on March 27th, and it ended up getting hacked or Zoom bombed, um, which is the term that is kind of being used for this. So essentially what happened was the Zoom bombers um, displayed racist and graphic imagery and used um, racist slurs. So the SGA has been kind of trying to recover from that. Several people reached out to them. I know the executive director of student engagement and leadership sent a message to them, urging them to find ways to make their meetings more secure. And they've actually moved to a different type of process that you have to go through to get into a meeting. Now you have to use a password and wait in a waiting room. So um, the, the hope is that some of those measures will help the SGA to have more secure meetings. But Zoom bombing is actually more common than I think most people would think. I looked at a Los Angeles Times article um, and it talked about how this is happening not even just for college students trying to hold meetings, but for elementary school and high school students, which kind of adds a, another problematic layer where on top of having these racist and disturbing images displayed to adults, they're being displayed as well to minors. So it's really a big issue and it's caused a lot of people to turn away from Zoom. So I think that's something that Zoom is going to have to work through as a company. I was wondering like, um, like it's, it's really awful that this has happened and that this is happening. And I was wondering like, how does this happen? Like are these people hacking into like the Zoom system? Is this a problem on with Zoom security system or is it um, somehow they're getting like a link to get into like the, these meetings? Yeah, so essentially this was a public meeting. So they're not having their meetings public anymore. So not anyone can join, but there was nothing restricting anyone from joining that original meeting. So if someone had the password um, or I'm, I'm not sure what it's called, like the Zoom key, it's like that you enter in that will bring you straight to the meeting. They could just enter that into Zoom, but the SGA still doesn't know how they got that password or Zoom key. Um, I don't know if they were just random people kind of typing in numbers to seeing if they could get into a meeting or if they somehow had access to that from the SGA's emails. So it's, in, it's under investigation by the UMPD, but we don't know yet. Cool. So um, for our next story, um, uh, so this is something that I wrote about a webinar that Student Legal Services Office wrote um, about uh, off-campus housing and how tenants can deal with their off-campus leases. So it was run by uh, the senior staff attorney at um, SLSO, uh, Raquel Manzanares, and she gave advice on what to do if you have an off-campus lease. She mentioned that ending a lease early is considered a breach of contract. Um, however, some leases may allow for the tenant to leave and the tenant will still have to pay rent until the landlord can fill the space or tenants can also sublease. Uh, there are 
apartments or houses. Um, although she did know that it may be difficult to find someone to sublease in this time. She also discussed what are called uh, act of God clauses in a lease. And this is a situation where there might be um, a natural disaster or some type of natural phenomenon, such as the current COVID-19 pandemic. But um, she said that in this instance, because the pandemic isn't preventing uh, students from living in their apartment or in their house, that that clause may not hold in court. And she also emphasized that to make sure to communicate with your landlord um, and that they might be willing to come to some agreement. And then in addition, she mentioned that the courts are not really hearing any cases right now except for certain emergency cases over the phone. So tenants don't really have to worry too much about being evicted. However, it is illegal for landlords to change the locks or physically prevent you from being into your apartment. And if they were to do that, um, she said that they would likely be able to get uh, an emergency hearing. So yeah, I thought this was this event was really interesting. Um, we've heard about um, that UMass is uh, adjusting room and board fees, but that obviously doesn't apply to off-campus housing. So it's um, interesting to hear about like what options those students have. Did a lot of people attend the seminar? Yeah, so it was um, uh, it was about I think a hundred people at the start and then as the webinar went on it went down to like 70 and then 50 I think as people started to kind of hear the information they were looking for they might have dropped out but there definitely was a good amount it was also um it was a mixture I think of both students but also a lot of parents too because parents a lot of parents are will, will co-sign on leases so they're still like the word uh liable on the lease yeah. I think it's really cool that SLSO had this Zoom webinar because I'm sure that there are a ton of legal issues that are coming up because of this pandemic and a lot of students who need those resources to help them out. So I think it's definitely great that they took the time to do this. And I'm sure that it wasn't easy to find a lot of time in their schedule because I'm sure there's a lot of students coming to them now. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah, definitely. So uh, for our next article, um, uh, this is an article that uh, Sophia, you wrote as well about um, accepted students and their reaction to everything that's going on. Yeah, so this was an interesting article for me. Um, essentially, I just got in contact with a couple of students that hadn't committed to UMass yet, but had been accepted and kind of asked them how the closure of on-campus classes and at this point, mostly the closure of, you know, tours and being able to visit campus, how that is affecting their decision. So um, one thing that I thought was interesting was that all of the students that I talked to said that UMass was not the only college that they'd applied to that had closed its doors and stopped giving tours. Um, all, all of the colleges that they had all applied to had stopped doing that. So it's kind of affecting their decision, but it's not something that's unique to UMass. Another thing I thought was interesting when talking to them was that they had all actually already visited campus. So it wasn't like any of them hadn't had a chance to see the pers the, the campus in person. So I thought that, that was good, but most of them did say that they would support UMass moving back the date that students have to commit by from May 1st, either to June 1st or just later in May. Um, yeah, I know UMass did update their tours last August, I think, last summer. But um, I do think it's important to like keep continuously updating them because UMass has so much construction that's going on all the time. So I feel like the campus is just constantly changing. 
So I think that's something that's really important for the administration to focus on in order to get make sure that accepted students can get a really good idea of what it would be like to go to UMass without actually being able to visit the campus in person. Putting in any effort or at least like from what we've heard so far to try and do some sort of like virtual things for a couple of students because I know that for me when I was working at UMass what really what decided for me was coming to campus and getting all of the informational seminars about whatever freshman year and like life at UMass so I, I I don't know I really thought they would even like announce some sort of like webinar for the class of 2024 or just like something just so engaging in a way maybe that's coming but yeah um when I wrote this article it was about a week ago or like weeks ago um but they hadn't announced yet what they were going to do about new student orientation so I think that there'll definitely be something coming regarding that. But I don't think that they know exactly what they're going to do there yet. So uh, for our next article, um, this was something I wrote. Uh, so as of Monday, April 6th, so when you're listening to this, that was uh, yesterday, um, UMass is locking all building entrances on campus until further notice. Uh, this is a response to, quote, several incidents of theft or damage to UMass property and unoccupied campus buildings. Um, and the WEB Du Bois Library will be closed until further notice. And then employees with existing UCARD or T access to certain buildings will retain that access. And then faculty can fill out any UCARD or metal T requests online. And any students who are still on campus will retain access to the residence halls, uh, the dining commons, and the campus center. I definitely understand why UMass has decided to do this. Um, because I don't think that students should really be out and about in those buildings too much anyways, because we are trying to limit how much contact they're having with different parts of the campus, just in general, to make it as safe as possible. But I also think that it can be really hard for students because they are in such a small space so much of their day. Like, dorms are tiny, and they're being quarantined in these tiny dorms, and now they don't really have the option to go out and um, go to different on campus. So I have mixed feelings about that. I'm also thinking about like the expense of keeping these buildings open. Like uh, if they're that costs a lot of money, and like if we could save money um, and maybe like help students out more if they close them. But I definitely agree. Like being stuck in a a ceramic block. It would be day after day not being able to like go see something else but hopefully UMass um I mean it's it's still like a great place to walk around so hopefully they're still able to you know like get outside and have like open space um but yeah that's really hard yeah. one thing that I also saw on Twitter that people were um or students were kind of talking about this issue was how it might affect people who are experiencing homelessness because um, I read an article in the Daily Hampton Gazette that was talking about how um, a lot of residents of Amherst and Northampton who are experiencing homelessness don't really have um, access anymore to find like a bathroom that's place to stay inside because of all the places being closed. Um, and I know that UMass is such a big part of the Amherst community that had they left the buildings open, that that could have been a resource for some of the people who might need it. Um, I don't really know exactly the legal aspect of this. I don't know if 
as a public university, university their obligation to do that. But I think it is pretty interesting to also think about that implication on those people. So for our last news article of the week, um, Abby, you compiled a list of uh, resources for students. Yeah, so our managing editor, soon to be editor in chief Morgan, put together a list of food resources. So I um, decided to make one of other various resources for students during this time. So um, to list a couple, eCampus has partners, partnered with Vital Source to provide free textbooks through May 25th for students. The university is also giving emergency micro grants and short term loans to students in need, and they also suggest that students can fill out unemployment. So, I list those. The library that it's closed is um, allowing access to the website and to all the things that you can find on the website through um, computers and devices that you can access at home. Um, so, I list that link. The UMass Writing Center is doing everything online and remote appointments, so I have that. Um, the Rec Center is streaming re remote fitness classes and workouts, and they are also releasing a recipe of the week for everyone. The Center for Counseling and Psychological Health, they have phone appointments, and then they also have Let's Talk slash Chat, which are sessions that are open to all. And they also have various links for tips and kind of managing concerns and everything. Um, I list that. For storage, um, U-Haul is offering one free month of storage to students who are displaced. Um, so I have that link. Um, Charter is giving spect Spectrum broadband and Wi-Fi access to students. So I have that. And then at the very end, I list that list that I mentioned earlier that um, Morgan put together for those experiencing hunger and food, food insecurities. Yeah, I think it's, it's really cool that um, since classes are still going on, that a lot of the services that we're paying for, such as um, like the Writing Center and um, CCPH are still uh, are still running, even if it is uh, remotely. Definitely. Very cool. So um, that was our last uh, news article for the week. And then we're going to, like every week, we talk about an older issue. This issue we're talking about is the April 8th, 2002 edition. And one of the um, articles that stood out to me right away was um, on the front page, fire safety remains hot topic across campus, which I thought was a, was a great headline. And then um, the event they're talking about, it's like a, almost like a festival for um, around the five colleges that kind of went over um, different stuff for fire safety, including like a mock um, live burning of a mock dormitory room which is kind of interesting. Like, I wonder if they purposely set this on fire and then put it out, which... I thought it was cute that they used to put horoscopes in the newspaper. I don't think that we do that anymore, but I know that we do. I think we have a Twitter horoscope page. Am I correct? I think I've seen that before, but I think that's a cute idea to put them in print. I was saying that we have the comic section, I think, whenever we do have a print edition. I was going to say it's interesting that um, a fraternity house actually burned down back in 2002 or something like that, whenever this article is from. I feel like that's like, that's like some, like, uh, almost like an urban legend that, about UMass that, like, never got passed on to us. You feel like you would know about a fraternity house burning down, but I never knew that until I just saw the photo. It's on the page. Like right there. Um, 
I keep talking about the from Classified, but I just think they're so interesting. And the fact that they still existed in 2002, like, really shows how much the campus has changed in the last almost 20 years. And, like, um, it's, like, near the, the horoscopes, but just, like, how the Collegian, like, the ads and the Collegian Classifieds and things, like, it really shows how it was a really huge form of communication for students at the time still. Uh, yeah, just cool. Yeah, they had um, this is different from the previous um, ones we've looked at because this one's now like in the 2000s. But they have a printout of all of the programs for every TV channel, like what's going to be on. I think from six to eleven thirty, it looks like. So that's so interesting. I wonder, you know, what that was like. Like I don't think anyone really watches cable TV anymore, especially not college. People. I don't think that we thought any of us really have like TVs to watch cable on. So that's so interesting. A few pages back, there's um, a campus perspectives section that says underwear, what's your preference? And someone wrote plaid boxers, and someone else wrote that's for me to know and you to find out. <laughs> like, what? Like, how does that make it so into the collegiate? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> 2002 was a different time. Yes, so. Without any social media, they had to entertain themselves. They had an event sponsored by New Balance called Hagus Hoopla, and it says the premier springtime event on campus is coming. Really big, yeah. They were sponsored by New Balance, Coca Cola. The weather's here too. It's crazy. So uh, I think that's all the time we have for now. It was great having everyone listen. Tune in next time. And once again, I'm Will Malice. I'm Abby Sharpentier. I'm Cassie McGrath. I'm Catherine Eston. I'm Irina Kostake. I'm Sophia Gardner. And I'm Chris McLaughlin. And you've been listening to the Collegian News Hour. The music for this podcast was created by Joaquin Prude and promoted by Audio Library. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating if you enjoyed today's episode. It really helps us out. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.